Good morning. This is Andy Brewer with Health Insights, uh, the Northwest AHEC podcast, and I have the pleasure to uh, introduce our guest today, which is Joseph Skelton, who is an MD and uh, the head of Brenner Fit, which is Families in Training, um, Combating Childhood Obesity. And uh, good morning. Good morning. Andy. Thanks for being here. Um, let's just jump right in. Tell us a little bit about Brenner Fit and what, what, what programs you guys are doing and, and the problem that, that you're trying to solve. Yeah. Um, well, Brenner Fit, like you said, is Families in Training um, at Brenner Children's Hospital. And the Families in Training reflects what we know best about what helps with kids who have overweight or obesity or have health problems related to their weight, and that's to include the whole family. Um, families are very dynamic. Kids' ages are very dynamic. Uh, what you do for a two-year-old is different than what you're going to do for a 10-year-old than what you're going to do for a 17-year-old. And every family is going to be different. So how you approach a family that they might have a three-year-old that has a problem with their weight, but an eight-year-old that doesn't have a problem with their weight, but is a real picky eater. And so uh, you have to account for, because the change is going to happen within the home. And we don't go into the home, um, so we really have to figure out and have a, a multidisciplinary team that gets no family, works with them to figure out what's going to be the best way to help them. How do, how do you attract the families? Uh, usually it's through their primary care doctor or being at a tertiary care hospital. Um, one of the other subspecialists that work at Brenner's will refer them to us, so if they see a patient um, that has high blood pressure and it's related to their weight, knowing that improving the weight can actually improve that blood pressure, they'll, they'll send them to us. How, how has nutrition, um, nutrition education evolved in, in medical education? Yeah, man, that's, that's going to be a long five-part answer, but I'll try not to go through that. And that's, that's what's really interesting because um, to sort of bring you to present day, I can actually see a family um, counsel them on nutrition, send a bill to the insurance and, and get paid for it. I don't get paid a lot for it, but I, you know, that's something that's considered part of our practice. Whereas until the past couple of years, it's been quite difficult for a dietitian who's trained in that, you know, has a bachelor's degree, has advanced training, has done an internship to, to see a family and be able to bill and get paid for that up until the past couple of years. That's been, that's been really difficult to do. So, to be a registered dietitian where you are, you're um, qualified to sit and meet with a family, um, to, to develop a plan to, for them to change your nutrition, to teach, to provide education, that takes a four-year degree. Um, it then takes a one- to two-year dietetic internship, which is highly competitive, where they actually work in a clinical setting uh, to do that and then go through licensure. As a physician... In my undergraduate school, I had one course that was health and exercise science, which I got some general nutrition education on that. In med school, I had a two-year course um, on nutrition that was actually taught by a biochemist, um, not by a dietitian or even a PhD in nutrition. Um, And then in my medical training, very, very, very little training did I have in nutrition. So we, we oftentimes recognize, and actually a lot of research has shown, how even though physicians can actually counsel patients about nutrition, they, they have very little background in it. And so what can we do to bring more of that uh, into medical education, into their training, in addition to you know, advocating for uh, reimbursement or programs for dietitians to, see, to 
see people, what can we do to actually improve the nutrition of um, folks like me who see patients every day that have problems with their weight? Yeah, which brought the uh, thought of the culinary medicine programs we do. Can you tell a little bit about how that got started and, and where that's going and how that fits into the the reaching uh, this at the front lines? Yeah, the culinary medicines, which we've kind of explored together and been working in partnership with Northwest AHEC, and actually the genesis of it here came through a partnership between Brenner Fit and Northwest AHEC. The idea of culinary medicine and the, the way that I would – define, you know, I'm a redneck from East Tennessee, the way I would define culinary medicine would be applied nutrition. Um, You know, nutrition is the study of um, food, macro, micronutrients, and how it affects our body and health. Um, But we all have to get that nutrition into our mouths. And typically to do that in the best way, that's going to be cooking or at, at a minimum learning how to prepare or obtain food. Um, and, and, and obtain a quality enough food that it can be helpful to our health and not harmful to our health. I think, and I don't want to sidetrack too much on that, but I think one of the problems that you're seeing both with health as well as with obesity is so much of that food that we're obtaining and getting into our mouth is not food that we've prepared. And I like going out to eat better than anyone, but unfortunately it's gotten to be such a part of our culture And it's become part of our culture that we don't think about. So it's gotten to be how can we get it quick and how can we get it cheap? And what I hate to tell you is if it's quick and cheap and you didn't make it, A, you don't know what went into it, and B, likely what's in that food is not going to be good for your body. So anyway, so applied nutrition, culinary medicine, it's really how can we prepare food um, that's healthy, that's well-balanced, that gives our body what we need, um, in the case of kids, to grow and be healthy, um, but also it's looking at the broader cultural aspects of food too. In pediatric obesity, in pediatrics, children, period, the more meals a family sits down and eats together, not only do they eat healthier, the family tends to communicate better. Um, the kids tend to do better in schools. They need, they, the relationships tend to be better, less likely to use drugs and alcohol, less likely to get pregnant. I mean, the, the benefits of a family sitting down you know, four or five times a week and eating a meal together goes on and on. So if people always say, if you could have one public health campaign to prevent obesity, first of all, there's not a pu- perfect public health campaign, but it would be the idea of eating meals together as a family, preparing and eating family meals together um, is just profound. So that's of great interest to folks like me that work in pediatric obesity is how can we get families to prepare more meals together? And so culinary medicine is the idea is teaching people how to cook, not to be chefs, um, not to be restaurant cooks, but how can we be home cooks, put together meals, sit down and eat together with our family. So it's not just about learning that cooking skill. It's not just about learning, um, you know, about about fiber and protein and fats. It's all that put together plus the broader aspects of planning. What are we going to eat this week? Do we have that food in our home? Um, Do I have enough time before soccer practice to get that prepared? Um, The average person, the average family um, doesn't know what they're going to have for dinner at 4 p.m. 80% of people don't know what's for dinner at 4 p.m. So if I'm leaving work, I left work a little late last night at 6 o'clock. And actually, you know, given the end of the school year, we didn't have a lot of other activities going on. You know, I... 
what's going to be easier? If I don't know what, you know, I have, my kids are going to go to bed at nine o'clock. Do I have enough time to see what we have in the house, run to the grocery store to pick up, prepare it, get it on the table, clean up in the, in between going to soccer practice, getting homework done, stuff like that. So again, I, I think I only went off on three tangents there, <laughs> but the idea that, you know, this might be a little bit of a lost skill and a lost art and a lost part of our culture to sit down enjoy a meal together and 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 so we need to teach people and so we need to start very early i know lots of dietitians that they don't really cook that much you know they're into the calculation of what's in their total parental nutrition or how much does someone need um, to recover from surgery um and i can definitely guarantee you there's a lot of medical folks all medical folks across all professions that don't know a lot about cooking because generally we're going to learn that from our ancestors. We're going to learn it from our parents and family. And so if someone's not raised cooking, I actually wasn't raised cooking. My mom was a great cook, um, but she did not teach me how to prepare food in my home growing up. I married into a family that that was just part of their DNA. You know, by age 10, you knew how to make cornbread. Um, You know, you knew how to cook collard greens. You know how to, um, you know, grill a piece of chicken. And so, um, you know, especially these, these recipes that tend to get passed down from generation to generation, we're, we're kind of losing that a little bit. So back to your original question, culinary medicine is ideas. We can teach any medical professional the basics of cooking. Now, that doesn't mean that medical student, doctor, dietitian will then go teach a cooking class, but it will give them a better understanding of how they need to counsel, how they need to teach, how they need to work with families to change behaviors to best improve their health and nutrition. Yeah, there's a lot of challenges I see there with the time and the the planning that's involved. And we have lost the ethos of the family meal. I mean, when I was growing up, it was 6 o'clock, and the whole street was empty at 6 because you'd hear the Manus, Dr. Manus down the street whistle, and his kid would just go running down because he knew if he wasn't there in two minutes, it was worries, yeah. you know. Yeah. And uh, same with us. We were sitting down. Meal was served at six, and I grew up watching my mother cook that, prepare that meal. So I, I got a lot of that. She didn't make a point to teach me, but just being in the kitchen and you know snacking. And so on some it. of that's biosmosis, <laughs> just being there, and then oh hey, grab that. Can you stir that? That type exactly. of thing. Exactly. And, and and I would even maybe we need to go that next level. And and you know, unfortunately, become a parent as you know, there's not a book that you get when you go home. You know, but part of what we do teach is we show parents sort of that developmental stage um, chart of what kids can do at certain ages. So, you know, kids as young as four, five, six, seven, eight years old, they can set the table at a minimum. You know, an eight to 10 year old, maybe even younger, can help you stir. Mm-hmm. Um, we find kids, younger kids, love measuring. They might need a little help at first, but guess what? If you, it may slow you down a little bit to help them measure, but in about two years, you can say, measure me a cup of flour, you know, grab, grab a couple of cups of lettuce. They can do that with no question. Um, and so, you know, when kids get older, we've learned this, you can even have that, you know, text them, Hey, be sure. Can you get the chicken out of the fridge? Mm-hmm. You know, before I get home, can you turn the oven on? You know, that kind of always worries me about turn on a gas stove or something like that. But in time, they can do it safely. My 17-year-old, he can light a grill. He can go man my smoker in the backyard. And so starting that very slow process, not only can it help with time, um, but it, it does keep you sort of home. And and nowadays at 6, um, people are running around. You know, people are really busy. And so I think one of the first things that drops tends to be that family meal. And a mutual friend of ours, a colleague of ours, 
when he learned about the idea of importance of family meals and his he had four kids and was running every which way, what he learned is, as I'm quoting him, he woke their butt up for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And so, and the teenagers got kind of miserable, but he brought them down and once a week, they were having breakfast together mm-hmm. and they each had jobs to do it and they eventually liked it. He said eventually they even expressed, you know, gratitude. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, back to the ethos of it, I mean, one of the things I really appreciated uh uh, was Anthony Bourdain's, you know, Parts Unknown and how he uh, brought back the, or not brought back, but just exposed how important the culture of mm. food, gathering, preparing, uh, sharing together and how that created, like you mentioned some of the statistics, lower drug use, lower, you know, more cohesive families. Mm. And that, that's just a cultural thing that I think we really need to figure out ways to bring back. I mean, you know, in rural communities, um, I I don't remember growing up because I grew up in in the county out you know south of here, and you just didn't see fat people, mm-hmm. you know, obese people. Um, and now, you know, because we've gotten away from the growing your own food and and raising your own food and and going to this you know drive through culture, you know, cheap calories. Uh, low cost and quick we've seen that balloon and also the food deserts and all the things there's just so many so complex it is it's very complex and sitting here talking to you i'm just reeling with all the directions we Mm -hmm. could take this conversation and i guess um where do i want to go with it i mean (laughs) well and i would sort of come back to that and one thing is you know you and i well i'm appalachian you're southern you're in the piedmont so we our foods tend to take a little bit of a beating. And this occurred to me about two years ago and I had a group of, I was called by a, a med student I knew that was from my part of the country in Northeast Tennessee. And, and I, you know, I don't know how, how she asked it, but she said, Hey, could you meet with a group of students and, and talk about Southern foods? And I said, sort of said, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Glad, glad <laughs> talk to all day you about know, that. <laughs> yeah. I talk about food all day. And then when I got the official notice from the student, it was to explore the cultural and health, um, aspects of Southern cooking through the generations. And I'm like, wait, wait, I've got an MD. I don't have a PhD in anthropology. This is a little much. <laughs> um, and so I, you know, I had my own little, I had sort of my own background in it and I did some reading. And so when I had them over at what we did, I ended up having them over at my house. You're supposed to go sort of get a cup of coffee or get a beer with them and talk. So I had them to my house and we cooked. And what I loved is the students that came, none of them were Southern. There is a kid from, uh, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, um, upstate New York, Minnesota, and I think Arizona. So it was mm-hmm. just perfect. This kid's sort of from all over. And I said, you know, listen, I'm not, I'm not here to slag Southern food. I'm not here to trumpet it. But what I would tell you then culturally, because, you know, we live in what's called the stroke belt, um, which we think has to do a lot of, you know, high salt, high fat foods, is traditionally, you know, we, we were the California back in the day. You know, we were the salable. We, we grew the food down here. And a lot, we were the original seasonal cookers. You know, we, we couldn't store food. You know, we, we, you know, that's a little bit of an overstatement, but you know, when, when the college ran, that's what we ate. You know, when we slaughtered hogs, we cured it so it would keep. And so we ate fairly seasonally. And when we think about, and obviously I've already mentioned collars like three times, I eat other <laughs> vegetables but besides collars, but it's personal me because I did not like collars growing up. I remember they stunk to high heaven. And then when we lived out of the South, we went to a restaurant that was uh, up there. It was in Milwaukee, and it was a soul food restaurant. But it was the famous from Alabama, and it was country cooking. And 
And I remember just something clicked. Maybe it was a memory of home, but suddenly I like collards. And so when you think about collards and people think of being greasy with the big ham hock and stuff like that, but actually there's some similarity. The reason you put a ham hock in a pot of collards was to season it because you cured that meat for it to keep. But also that was likely the meat that you were having with that meal. You know, so having collard greens, maybe some beans as your protein, cornbread, things like that. That was the meat that you got. And when we went to the culinary medicine training, um, because so much of culinary medicine was some of the leaders in it now, especially at Tulane, um, the group that we went to was a Harvard School of Public Health at Napa Valley actually running that course. Really, really focused on Mediterranean diet, which, you know, what they're finding over and over and over, the, the, the crux of Mediterranean diet is healthy fats, fruits and vegetables, grains, all the stuff very good for you. And one thing that we learned about that is they called it the protein flip. So instead of having a big steak with a potato and a salad is you had a larger salad with other vegetables, maybe a potato, and then you had slices of steak that you put on there or use um, with a lot of Asian cooking, use meat for flavoring. I'm like, well, that's kind of similar to a a pot of collard greens with a ham hock or my latest obsession is learning some more Appalachian cooking traditions is flavoring a pot of beans with a ham hock or some other piece of meat, uh, smoked meat in there. And there's a lot of similarities then to of Mediterranean cooking. You use meat as a flavoring versus your main protein. And then a lot of Southern cooking where meat could be scarce mm-hmm. or it was seasonal. And so you use cured meat to actually flavor and that a little bit to, to make it go further. And so I demonstrated that to these medical students. Is you know, So I had, I did a, a pot of pinto beans with a ham hock in it. I did a vegetarian version of collards, um, showed them how to make cornbread, which they went absolutely nuts over, um, which I loved because it used a, it used a cornmeal out of Rutherford to North Carolina, um, did, and they think of fried okra. I did okra in a cast iron skillet, you know, that type of thing. And so really saying that there's, you know, yes, there, there's some Southern foods you necessarily don't want to eat every day. I love biscuits and gravy and you don't want to eat that every day. And that can be some of the traditions that we remember, but there's lots of other traditions out there that maybe have gotten lost in time, such as a pot of collard greens with a ham hock um, might be one of the main parts of the meal, and the only meat you're getting is some pizza that ham hock that break off in there. And so it's really trying to dive deeper to say, okay, maybe there are some of these, and there's lots of chefs and writers out there trying to uh, reclaim a lot of this stuff and learn about it. And so and believe me, I don't think a lot of Southern cooking is the answer to health with that, but especially for medical students here, for, you know, we're a, a academic medical center, people here from all over the world, um, it gives them a better understanding of the foods that are local. And so, which is oftentimes the first step we do with a lot of families is, okay, let's take what you're cooking now and build on that. Yeah, I think we've taken the abundance for granted in that the whole protein, you know, you have this giant steak or a huge piece of chicken or whatever it is as the meat, and then flipping that to plant forward, it was the term I think mm-hmm. they yeah, used. Yeah. And, and, you know, Michael Pollan's, you know, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Yeah, you yeah. can't get much simpler than that. But using vegetables as the vehicle to deliver the little bit of meat that you mm-hmm. did have and stretch that out through the the cold winter, mm-hmm. maybe that you know it was the old school approach, and I've I've seen that, witnessed that in the Caribbean where they salt the fish, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of people still don't have fridges down yeah. there, so it's it's all, you know, uh, the amount of time that's this used, and really it's part of the island time zen culture, really, just to you know spend half your day preparing mm-hmm. food 
that's going to last a month, you know, because it's necessary. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have those uh, things that we take for granted here. So there, there's part of that ethos um, uh, that brought me to a... Uh, you, you mentioned something earlier about giving the kids some responsibilities. What What's the appropriate age or, you know, roughly, I know there's no mm-hmm. specific age, but um, for knife skills. Because I think one of the things I start out any recipe, I mean, I, I go in the kitchen and start chopping garlic and onions, not knowing what's next. But that's, that's going to go in. That's how I determine when yeah. I'm doing that. I'm looking around, okay, what, what's next? So, and you don't want to have the hot oil and cooking something else and go, oh, crap, and, and you need a minute or two to cut up an onion. Yeah, exactly. So so some of the things, I, you know, I'll call ahead and tell the kids, you know, hey, go ahead and chop. I need two onions chopped yeah. and, and two, you know, five cloves of garlic mm-hmm. minced or, or whatever. Yeah. So, and, and, and so I think you can actually start those knife skills fairly early. And, and that's one of the first things we do. Um, big part of our culinary medicine program. Um, the next one's coming up. I think June 6th is on a Friday. I think we still have some openings left. Um, we do a big knife skill session there. Jennifer Graves, um, who's a physician in the adult weight management programs, is actually culinary trained. And people love that. Um, they love learning not only proper knife skills to prevent wrist injuries, which is something I've dealt with a lot in a lot of my cooking. Um, so you can, you, you don't, your cooking's not limited by pain, but also safety. So you're not cutting fingers and stuff like that. And so, um, and then also with med students, that's also something that we cover. And actually every cooking class we do in Brenner Fit, um, that's one of the, we, we try to use that as an example. No one's going to sign up for a knife skills class. They want to learn a new recipe, but we integrate that in. Oh, hey, look, here's how you hold a knife. Here's how you hold an onion. You know, the first thing you want to do is try to get a flat side so something doesn't slip and you cut. For kids, there's actually some kid-friendly knives. They're plastic, got a little bit of a serrated blade. So um, they can they can cut onions, they can cut peppers, they can cut almost basically any vegetable that they can cut with that. So you can start that as young as sort of six to eight, oftentimes it will do. And then when you see more comfort with that, even, you know, eight on up, you could actually progress to, to sharper knives with that. Um, showing kids how to turn on the oven, you know, to do that in a safe way. You know, something that we dealt with my son, that he was great at going to lighten the grill. He would even go out there and grill stuff for us. But you remember, you got to go there and turn it off, you know, that type of stuff. <laughs> so there's some maturity level that's always going to vary with age. But um, absolutely, something, you can have them cut your onion. That gives you a couple minutes that then you could get another part of the meal going. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last night I was cooking our meal. Um, uh, I, you know, I was getting things going and hey, I need someone to unload the dishwasher. Our mutual friend, Michael Lischke, that's a big thing in his family is their job is to load and unload the dishwasher, which can be a five to 10 minute job. Kids can absolutely do that. That frees you up to do other things when you're talking about a a dual career family or dual working family or single parent household that needs that extra helping hand. Yeah, use that division of labor. I mean, that's why we had kids 200 years ago to go work in the field. There were times that I thought that was the only reason my parents had a fourth kid was uh, they needed someone to... To hold things. So, yeah. And so, you know, with busy and, and also through that, even if it's just through osmosis, they're going to learn a little bit more. So when they go to college um, or they go out on their own, um, you know, for someone that immediately goes into the job market, uh, the workforce, that they're not stopping at fast food. Because often, so my son right now, he's got a car, he's got a little bit of money. Um, that's one thing that he loves to go do. But it's also teaching him the standard, though. We eat the majority of our meals at home. Yeah, I've I've got one that's just driving now, and so her new tasks are going to be to go do the 
some of the shopping, so involving mm. them. But they've always come with me to the grocery store, and they grew up um, spending a lot of time down in the Caribbean. So they, you know, going to the market. You, or well, you, you had a, the guy selling uh, produce mm. on the side of the road and, and, and just helping, getting them involved in picking out right. what they see as the best and get them those skills to, to know how to pick out mm-hmm. what vegetables to use and what maybe not so right because you want to store for the, you know two or three days from now and uh, you know how to pick an avocado and yeah I'm, I'm very picky about my apples and bananas so mm-hmm. I even had that deliberate thing recently with my teenager of here's how we like to get bananas you mm-hmm. know I want a little bit of green at the top and if we say green bananas this is what we mean by green banana mm-hmm. and then you know here's the apples I want a Fuji apple not that so it's a lot of it's osmosis but at some point you have to deliberately say okay I'm going to show you how to do this and it's it doesn't take a lot of time. You know, that mm-hmm. was one trip. I tried to tell him again. He's like, I know, Dad. I know, Dad. I can do that. And, again, it's a huge help um, for things like that and increase the number of meals that we can have at home. Yeah, and I think since we don't have gardens, most of us don't have a big garden to go send the kids out to pick, um, I think it's important to bring them to the grocery store. And that's I know that's part of some of the things, outreach you guys do. But to go in the produce section and, and let them know what to work for, but also pricing and, and mm-hmm. looking at ingredients because it's not really that expensive to eat healthy if you do it right and you take the time to plan. I mean, the dry beans that can last for years. Yeah. And, and That's you know, my that's, obsession right now is how can we get more people cooking beans because they are, it is so, I'm, I'm pricing out this meal. I, I call this my Appalachian meal. Um, it's soup beans, which soup beans tend to refer to just pintos, but it's not necessarily a soup. I can go on. I'll try not to go on and on about this. But it's just a very simple, basic, earthy meal, typically flavored either with ham hock. I make a vegetarian version, so I use some other flavoring in there. Um, doing a, uh, an old salad recipe called killed lettuce or kilt lettuce, which is nothing but doing like a hot bacon dressing. And you pour it over a like a romaine that kind of wilts it a little bit and a thing of cornbread. That literally is about two bucks a person. Mm-hmm. And it is good. It's balanced. And it's filling. People always say it's expensive to eat healthy. Well, it's expensive to eat healthy if you want it ready in five minutes. Um, So with a little bit of learning, a little bit of shopping skills, a little bit of food prep skills, and the number one thing that we wish people would do when they want to try to eat healthier is planning. Mm -hmm. And that's the hardest part is how can we plan our meals? Because then you know you have the right groceries and you have the time to do it. And putting those skills together, you can't eat. You can't eat healthier um, for less money. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And yeah, I mean, it, that's the thing. People need to know that it's an investment of their time that's going to pay so much dividends. And I like the quote is like, do you think eating healthy is expensive? Have you, you know, have you priced cancer lately or yeah. hypertension or any medicalized condition? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where you know, you've got to realize the payoff of the investment in your health is 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 so so great mm-hmm. that it's worth doing. And I think that's, you know, again, there's just so many complex parts to this whole thing called lifestyle and, and, and nutrition mm-hmm. and physical activity and just being aware of, of, of the ways in which we can derail that mm-hmm. through going, you know, getting your food through a window, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's yeah. just, it's, it's just so easy to, fill that time up with other pursuits when one of the main pursuits we should be 
focusing on is our own health right. and, and nutrition is you know what we put in our mouths you know is all what starts put in is what you get it yeah. all starts there and and it's just god there's so many areas we can we did uh, a we did a actually we're writing up the paper right now we did a research study with adults that were participating in weight management at our own weight management center here and it was interesting how much that came out we were interviewing the children and as well as the spouses and that came out a lot of this is costing a lot so i don't want to fail but they fully recognize, but this is worth it because it's going to save not only quality of life later on, it's going to save us money later on because I'm going to be, I'm going to be healthier. And, and also I tell people if they're wanting to make a change to eat more is, you know, don't, you don't have to, the truth is, truth is always in the middle and you don't have to go from eating out five days a week to eating at home seven nights a week, all organic, all locally produced. You can really mix it up. And so we do that a lot. If we're doing a class that might be focused on a protein. So one of the things I love teaching is roasting a whole chicken, which is a Michael Pollan thing. He says you should learn how to make a sauce, cook an egg, um, boil, boil, you know, cook spaghetti, boil pasta, and you should know how to roast a chicken because, you know, someone living by themselves, a roast chicken will last them three to five meals. Mm-hmm. Um, for a family, it can feed the whole family plus maybe a, a lunch the next day. So I love teaching roasted chicken because I just thought that was one of the coolest things. My uh, One of my good friends in medical school, his mother-in-law would come to town and would roast a chicken, and I thought that was the fanciest thing I'd ever seen. And so part of what we teach then is the whole class is sort of focused on this technique of roasting a chicken. But we also want to – but we then we sit down and eat the meal together. So then we just do microwavable vegetables. Um, you know, lots of good – the steamer packs, you know, big family size pack, not very expensive – and so it's it's an okay corner to cut. You're still getting vegetables. They may not be fresh, but you know what? They were picked fresh, processed, and, the, and I mean processed. I don't mean tons of salt add and stuff like that. But they were you know they were cut and then frozen at their peak of freshness. So a steamer pack of vegetables is a perfectly good thing for a busy family. We teach them the extra thing is you know what you do have to season it a little bit though. You know mm-hmm. you give them an unseasoned thing with that. Now that doesn't mean you have to season it with you know a cup of salt and a cup of butter, but you know, it doesn't hurt to maybe put a splash of olive oil in it, put some salt and pepper on it. It's going to make the flavor go a lot better. But that's an okay corner to cut. You know, you don't have to go all the way. You know, roast a chicken and get, I call them clamshells, the, the, the bag salad um, that, that's already been washed. Um, actually, studies have shown if you wash a salad mix that's already been washed, you're more likely to introduce bacteria in. Mm-hmm. So these are these small things that we, we tend to teach with culinary medicine. But that's an okay thing because you're still balancing out that plate and giving a meal. You cook part of it at home, some of it you cut. And that's actually a, an affordable um, uh, shortcut to take, mm-hmm. unlike going and ordering out and, order, you know, yeah. paying 15 bucks to order out some fresh food versus, you know, a whole chicken. If you get it on sale, is going to be 5 to $6. A thing of salad on sale sometimes is 3 bucks, and then, you know, cut up some potatoes and stuff like that. So. You know, it's okay to cut some corners here and there, and you could still eat healthy, balanced on a on a budget. Yeah, I think that's important to note. It's the long game too. It's yeah. not immediate change that overnight you're going to do this. It's incorporating those little hacks in your daily routine that that you learn to incorporate all the time. Mm-hmm. So if you do do the chicken and you've got the frozen vegetables, and then you know maybe next time you get some fresh vegetables mm-hmm. and and you and, and, and you do. Frozen chicken breast. Yeah, exactly. Like that, yeah. So, so there are those trade-offs. And everyone, you know, we, we do have to balance the time and the budgets and all that. And there's um, going to be bad weeks. You yeah, know, There's yeah. going to be weeks maybe. And it's 
we're all going to go through the drive-through. I mean, that's okay. Right. It's and not to beat up yourself, not get in that mentality of, oh, I felt the wagon. Just say, you know what? Next week, I'm going to take a little extra hour on Sunday, or what you know, I like to do is I'm going to cook some beans. Mm-hmm. Or you make the investment, get a mm-hmm. pressure cooker, get mm-hmm. in, a, you know, uh, one of the new fancier electric ones. Um, you know, the the fancy electric ones are really intimidating right now. So we love bringing out the old school, which your mom used and your mm-hmm. grandma used yeah. with the. But it doesn't have that little scary thing on top that yeah, seems yeah. like it's going to explode. Like, yeah, yeah. The, even the simple pressure cookers, you're talking 20 bucks, mm-hmm. um, And they're not as scary as they were. But, you know, you could do a pot of beans from dried beans to cooked beans in 30 to 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. And those reheat. And actually, a lot of these bean or soup bean recipes I've been doing, they're better the next day. That starch leaches out of the bean. You get a little bit of a sauce going with it, things like that. Yeah, my 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 game is the crock pot slow cooker yeah, game. Exactly. I do yep. it, you know, put the beans in at night with water and a piece of ham hock, and oh, yeah. that's all you need. Yep. I mean, and maybe before you serve it, throw in a cup of chopped up onions, let mm-hmm. that steep for. Get a small ten, pork shoulder, throw that in the morning with yeah. a bunch of seasoning. You pull that up at night. Yeah, it's ready to go. Yeah, you've got just, essentially a poor man's barbacoa type yeah. of thing. So. Well, um, you know. One of the things I I do want those listening to know is if you're not eating healthy and you, you begin these changes, that um, when you do have those moments of weakness and go through the drive, that you not mentally, physically, you'll see, you'll feel the difference. I mean, my kids, luckily, I've, I've this is part of my you know DNA is cooking healthy and eating healthy, and and uh, my kids have always been you know probably. Uh, 15 out of 21 meals are home cooked. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we, we, we very, uh, you know, that's been a part of our life. And when we do go travel or if we're out of time and they're really hungry and we'll stop and get whatever, I don't want to call any particular yeah. you know, franchise <laughs> out, but they'll, they'll comment like mm-hmm. the next day or even later the same day. They're like, ah, you know, I, I just don't feel well. I mean, I know, I know why, mm-hmm. you know, and it's no, it's no secret. It happens to me on vacation, especially, you yeah. know, we, we did a really quick long weekend, um, down at the beach and, and again, we had to fly there. So we end up almost eating out two meals a day. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you just, you just sort of feel it. But that also brings me back that, you know, um, some of us, I remember the guy that wrote, uh, fast food nation, he was being interviewed about, you know, the, you know, about all the fast food. Why is it so popular? And he said, tastes good. Mm-hmm. You know, a, um, you know, a good greasy burger tastes good. Um, and this used to be conspiracy theory, but they've essentially proven it. I don't think the companies did it deliberately, but what ended up happening was a lot of the seasoning, the, the more process that we went on a lot of these fast foods, a lot of the preservatives, a lot of the seasoning end up end up almost making you crave it that much more. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love Brussels sprouts mm-hmm. and, you know, roast the crap out of them, maybe put a vinaigrette on them. I, I, I could eat that all day. Mm-hmm. Now, except for that little bit of salt I put on them, they don't cue something in my brain mm-hmm. that makes me want exactly more of that. But yeah. we actually do know that happens with a lot of the heavy, heavy salt seasoning, mm-hmm. a lot of sugar. It, it cues that reward system in your brain. And that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing working against this in the United States is, the except for the runner's high, mm-hmm. um, there's not something after a thing of exercise that cues something in your brain that says, I want to go do that again. You, mm-hmm. you feel good and you yeah. feel good the next day, but there's not that immediate, immediate reward oftentimes. Um, and it's the same thing with food is, you know, you go have 
fast food hamburger and fries, God, you just want to eat more and more and more because it's hitting that reward system in your brain. Yeah, that's what, what Morgan Spur- Spurlock and supersize yeah. me. He he would be real run down then he'd eat the meal. Almost, almost like a high. Yeah, and he'd be like, for about an hour or two, he's, he's, he's yeah. buzzing, and then boom, just the crash. And they thought that was conspiracy, but they're actually, uh, one of the old FDA commissioners had sort of come out and said that after retirement was, you know, there actually is some, and again, they're not doing it deliberately, but it was almost like cigarettes back in the day that, mm-hmm. you know, oh, it's the nicotine that keeps you coming back. There's things in those foods that keep you coming back. So what I, but what I also say is you also don't want it to become forbidden fruit. Mm-hmm. If we become, if we demonize this to kids too much, they end up wanting it that much more. Mm-hmm. Um, I sometimes see this with my kids a little bit, you know, they're pretty quick to go do it. And I don't, you know, run, grab fast food. I don't really rag them on. It's just sort of part of growing up, but it's also teaching them this. That's a sometimes thing to do. Yeah. I mean, that's how I approach it too. Is like, yeah, well, you know, we, we give in when we have to. Yeah. And, but I never use it as reward. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, Hey, if you do this, we're going to get a milkshake and fries and burger. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, they, they enjoy it, but they, they really know the difference between the tiers of, 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 restaurants you know that what's fast food and what's sort of this the fern restaurants i call it like Mm -hmm. one step up maybe and then then there's just the more the cheaper local restaurants Mm -hmm. that actually do use more whole ingredients and and it's not loaded with all the yeah the the chemical triggers that that because it's it's fresher yeah that's the thing it's versus something that needs to be quick with no skill behind it, which is a lot of what happened with your fast food is they've, they've even got some of those now that are the, the tacos are assembled by robots. You mm-hmm. know, you don't even need to learn how to cook. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to remember which writer talked about that, but that a lot of, uh, food prep in schools, it's no longer a cook in there. It's someone that's just opening up stuff, heating it up, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they're, and we're doing that because it's, it's cost savings. As mm-hmm. long as we can get it more processed, larger quantities, we can do it on a cheaper, cheaper budget. Yeah, I was growing up in elementary school again out in the county. We had the most amazing school food. Yeah. I mean, we had collard greens and pintos and mm-hmm. ham hock little piece in there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we didn't realize how, how good we had yeah, it. You absolutely. know, and I see what I go to visit my kids at, in elementary school. Got one left, um, one almost done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll get, and I see what they've got on their plates, and it's just appalling, you know. And then the the yeah. things that they do include that are healthy, like an apple. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, how many second graders have front teeth, you know? <laughs> you know, they can't even eat it. So yeah. I, I look in the trash can, and there's just dozens and dozens of apples. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. a lot of research that's... Uh, disheartening as well as a lot of research of the little things that can be done and mm-hmm. it's just it's starting to have the will will to do it and it gets a little bit better especially as the kids get older and they're adding things like salad bars and mm-hmm. and then we have to think about you know one of the biggest complaints that we hear is having enough time to eat um, mm-hmm. lunch you know you're not going to go if you have 18 minutes for lunch and you spend 10 of that in the salad bar waiting in line trying to put that together it can be difficult yeah yeah i mean it seems like we almost need to include the kids in the prep or some part uh-huh. of that meal i mean i know some schools probably have the kids that set the table and they actually sit down and maybe have a moment of silence and 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 you know have more time because it, it is meals should be about connecting with yeah. people too it's not just i got to feed my face and then get on with my day well the idea about you know the the cotillions coming back mm-hmm. you know we see a rise in that of um, because we've been, you know, because we're so busy, because we're eating out more, 
we almost need to get back to teaching manners, mm-hmm. um, you know, about the you know, napkin in your lap. And again, not not getting too fancy of having the pinky up with tea, having tea after the meal. But, you know, the idea of having manners and passing plates and, and things like but, that. But I mean, that's it's a part of civ- civility that's got us developed so far as we have. And it's in every culture. And I think it's also um, of connecting with people and it's yeah. part of appreciation of the food that you're about to eat, mm-hmm. which I think, you know, when we say the blessing, I kind of, um, create a generic version of mm-hmm. it, but it's always about powering ourselves to go out and do good. And that's the message I want my kids is what you put on in your body is what you get out. And mm-hmm. I think that that's a message everyone you know, needs to have. And, you know, it's always good to see someone, even if they're sitting out here in Bailey Park with their homemade lunch and they bow their head and give thanks. I mean, that... that well, here locally with one of the local restaurants, that made national news for a while. With oh, that. Yeah, but... Well, and, and that you're going to the point of mindfulness. Yeah. And back to the idea of obesity. Um, that... The research on that is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Mm-hmm. That um, and actually, Kathy Bates, the actress, just came out. She'd lost sixty pounds. Hey, what diet? You know, they're thinking that she did keto or something like that, and she said nothing. I think she said her daughter. I may have that wrong, but I think she said her daughter taught her about mindful eating. Mm-hmm. Um, Savor the great. Yeah, which is again that was another one of our original partnerships um, with Northwest AHEC. Is we have certified trainers in something called mindfulness based eating awareness. Uh, either therapy or training, mm-hmm. um, mindfulness-based eating awareness. And it's just teaching mindful eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea that we eat quickly, it takes 10 to 15 minutes for us to really, or sorry, 15 to 20 minutes to get full from our food, for all the signals to it. Our stomach become distended. There, there's sort of three ways that you get full that I always like to talk about. There's the physical distension in your stomach. You know, you, you can't eat a whole watermelon by yourself because of all the water in it. Your your in stomach fiber, will become yeah. distended. But you're not going to ever lose weight just by eating watermelon mm-hmm. um, because you're going to continue to be hungry even if you feel distended. Because the second way, you know, so fiber and water tends to be. The second way is, you know, protein and typically fat. It's going to break down a little slower. It sends certain signals off um, that tells our brain that we're full. So that's why the idea of a balanced plate, which gives you fruits and vegetables, which gives you fiber and water, uh, the starch and grains, again, the idea of uh, fiber filling us up and then the protein which typically has fat coming along with it which will i always say fill us up chemically it sends the right signals um and so those three ways tend to fill us up so eating mindfully it ends up slowing down your food you you enjoy your food more there's an exercise with it where um you taste a you taste a raisin um and people always say at the end of that like wow i never realized how much flavor a single raisin has but what do we tend to do with raisin? We just get the little tiny snack boxes. We we pucker it up a little bit and then cram the whole thing in our mouth. And you do get this. It's almost like chewing a whole stick of gum. Once you get this immediate burst of flavor, and it's gone very quickly. But if you take the time, you smell it, half your taste comes from smell. Mm-hmm. You'll really appreciate how much flavor is packed into a single raisin. So uh, mindful eating, the research continues to show good long-term weight loss, healthier eating, more satisfaction with food. Um, and there's there's other and oftentimes what it comes down to sort of again sort of the simple redneck version of it is when you sit down to eat before you start wolfing it down like I did growing up and still sometimes do <laughs> is you just take a breath and what you're describing is sort of having a blessing or a prayer or a moment of silence is sort of taking that step let's stop we're about to we're about to appreciate a great meal so let's stop and really you know take a deep breath think about it. Um, as you know, how hungry am I? As you know, we often say you eat with your eyes, but before you start doing that, say, you know, how I'm really not that 
hungry. I had a good lunch. And then constantly reassess that through the meal. Put down the fork between meals. That's a couple of seconds. You know, swallow the bite that you have before you take another bite. Um, and what they've shown is you end up eating less by doing that and appreciating it more. Um, and so all this, sitting down to family meal, having a blessing, including the kids into the process, you're going to be much more mindful and appreciate of, appreciative of the food you have in front of you. Yeah, I think the the act of just chewing, I think the processed food just dissolves as soon as it's your mouth. And that study just came out. It was really well done. Kevin Hall, who I think is at the NIH, amazing study where he fed each meal was the exact same amount of calories and its same sort of proportion of protein to fat to starch. And basically found in short that the processed meal people end up eating about 500 calories more that, yeah. than that. And what that's one of the thoughts was it's easier to chew because it's been processed. A lot of the stuff has been, you know, the, the nutrients, the fiber have been removed. They try to pump it back in, like enriched bread and stuff like that. But, yeah, that, that was a fantastic study. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I, I used to be heavy in the juicing and, and juice man. I forget what his name was, but he yeah. always said, chew your juice because that starts the breakdown with your yeah. salivary amylase and, and gets it prepared to hit your stomach. Yeah. And we've just lost that. Aren't we? we just shovel yeah. it down. And I think, uh, you know, the the meal replacement, all the powders and yep. bars and stuff, everybody just cranks And And the out. protein will stay with you, but you're not... You know, eating a thousand calories of a smoothie with protein added, mm-hmm. um, you're still not filling your stomach up, even though it's got the fiber in there, it's got mm-hmm. the protein added to it. You're still not filling it up. And 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 the final part of that fill up that I didn't mention. So there's the how the protein and fat fill you up. There's how you're physically distended, but then it's also the uh, the I just call it the mouth satiety, the satiation of like yeah, I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. It was well seasoned. It wasn't salty. It had some fat in it, which gave it mouth feel, and that's what you're not getting oftentimes with. Um, with these things like the juicing and the the protein shakes and stuff like that, even though they have their role with weight loss and stuff like that, but you're you're missing out on that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Let's move into physical activity now. Mm-hmm. What part of the families in training, or what what's incorporated in that as far as uh, being active? Yeah, that's a that's an inner that's been a big thing that we've sort of been doing below the radar a little bit, and and as we've looked into and we even just published on this that. Outside of sports and free play, um, we don't know a lot about how we can act, get kids regularly active. And you're going to say that and say, wait a second, I saw this study. There's always these sort of short-term things. We pick kids up, we take them to the playground, we play with them. You know, But is that a long-term solution for a kid that's in a busy family that lives in an area that doesn't have access to park and open green spaces and stuff like that? I think... One reason we're sort of behind in this is I think a lot of parents and medical professionals take what we know for adults. Oh, you have to exercise. You got to you got to go to a class. You got to get on a treadmill. You got to do that. Um, And we sort of force that on kids. Well, up and through teenage years, kids want to have fun. You know, that's it's kind of, you know, they're they're in class all day. You know, they may even do some exercise that's fun, team based sports and things like that. But. In the end, kids want to in, enjoy that time. And overall, I'd say even up into teenage years, kids don't enjoy getting on a treadmill. They might enjoy the social aspect of it. So a kid might go with their parent to the gym and do a class or they do it with a friend. You know, For me, weightlifting and swimming in high school was related to me being on a team or me going with my best friend Scott to a gym. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So when, what I'd say is when it comes to younger kids, it's all about the free play. And a lot of the old research that still holds up that says we need to put limits, as we do on anything with parent. we need to put limits on what sedentary activities our kids are doing, which means just, you know, having time away from electronics, which can get difficult nowadays because if I tell my kids to put their phone up, they go to their laptop. I tell them put their laptop up. You know, yeah, they, they get a way, on a video yeah. game. There's so, so many out there. And so what what we tend to what we've gotten to now is, you know, to have some time instead of trying to put all these rules up that kids are always going to try to find a way around or sneak. Just have an electronic free time. We're going to have a couple hours of putting stuff away. Um, we're going to play some music. And so that would sort of be step one. And step two for younger kids, it's about having that free time playing inside, playing outside. Um, the great thing about free play, it works all the muscles, unlike Weightlifting, you might be working a couple muscles. For older kids, it's trying to find some things they enjoy. Um, some of them might get into the social aspect of weightlifting. There's team sports or stuff like that, but that didn't really fit with every kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to find some outlets for physical activity. For families, it's about trying to find some activities that they can do together, mm-hmm. which can be hard. I'm, you know, even though I've got a workout team, my wife, my workout routine, my wife has a workout routine. Um, sometimes we have to. Um, battle back against that tendency to all oh, let's suck out and watch a movie together. Still has its role, believe me. Mm-hmm. Love, still love doing that. Um, but trying to find some activities that you can do together as a family. I think we tend to default to walking, um, which is great, but give me a grumpy teenager. They might not necessarily want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, for my kids, especially coming up on summer, when we do some traveling or go see family, we always try to find the local ropes course. And do that together again as a family. My kids still talk about um, having done, done a couple of those. So there's still a bit of a challenge to that. But what I would say is trying to keep reasonable limits on the electronic time, trying to have a free time, a period of not having that every day. But don't try to push too much. The more you try to push your kids into something, certain personality kids, they'll, they'll go the opposite way. Um, but for kids, it's about having fun. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and when they age out of that playground, uh, you know, comfort zone, and you know, it's hard to find just yeah. the right and, fit. And, you know, and, and I, I, I don't need to go on a tangent on this about all the competitiveness of sports, but a lot of kids that just don't fit with their personality. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're not overly competitive, and we see even you know, ten year old rec league soccer gets highly competitive now, even if the the players are not overly competitive, the coaches are competitive, <laughs> yeah. and it can ruin it. I mean, yeah, it can ruin yeah. it for a lot of kids that. You know, they want to go shoot basketball. They don't want to get yelled at by the coach. And so we need to find more. We need to keep the rec league sports rec league. Mm -hmm. Um, And that would be a big message to parents is don't. And you see a lot of great coaches out there that do exactly that. Um, You know, let's keep this about having fun, being active together. Yeah. um, And not about winning that trophy. Yeah, that's important. Um, And for the parents out there, learn how to – control your wi-fi router you can actually cut it off yeah. automatically for certain periods of time or the phone so, you know we added the family the- companion on our phone and so we don't even have to think about it. it just sort of cuts off you know i'd say a big one for folks out there and we we really push this in the pediatric world is you know keep keep what's the bedroom for bedrooms mm-hmm. for sleeping mm-hmm. you know maybe some homework even though i always kind of prefer especially since my kids need their computers for homework mm-hmm. um maybe even pulling that out but you know i would keep that bedroom for sleeping you know the the kitchens for eating the bedrooms for sleeping don't let electronics creep into the room yeah it's good good advice um what's the if you could do one thing to change uh 
dietary habits or nutrition habits or lifestyle in 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 use today? What would it be? Jeez, it, it's hard to just limit it that to one. But I, I, and it may not be the right one. But um, I think I'd go back to what we started a lot of this conversation is. I think if we can cook more meals together at home, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we talk about family meals, well, everyone defines their own who's family. You know, we've got some neighbors that are close friends. Um, you know, it's not uncommon for them to come over on Sundays or other nights for meals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even when we eat out, the idea that we're eating out together, um, mm-hmm. you know, that with our family we're going and even – you know, our kids are ordering their own thing, but we're still sitting at the table. It's not us getting takeout and everybody going to their own rooms, which happens quite a bit. Um, but the idea that we, if we could prepare some more meals at home and understanding that a lot of folks are busy, but the other added benefits that you get from that, of the communication, spending mm-hmm. more time together, catching up. So much happens with that. If And the other thing is, if I would sort of add on to that, this is sort of the under the radar one, is if every family could take about an hour a week just to plan their week. Um, I think that helps a lot. I think Mm -hmm. that relieves a lot of stress. Um, You can plan your meals. You can plan time to be together. You can time plan to be active together. Um, And I know for folks that are sort of OCD-ish about stuff, this sounds like the dream of, oh, great, you know, you can plan every minute. No, you still need to have spontaneity. You know, Friday night is sort of our pizza night. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the one time that we actually do eat, not always, but we do sometimes eat in front of a TV. We'll have family, you know, movie night, eat a pizza. Mm -hmm. You know, it's fun. It's a special event. It's not something that happens every night. Yeah, I think there's a lot of little hacks you could do for planning. I mean, I like the dry erase marker on the the refrigerator, you know. We have two of them, yep. Yeah, just just to plan people, you know, let people know what big events are through the week, and also what meals, you yeah. know, what and, and and take pressure off, you and know, let the kids write what they want. Yeah, to do. oh, we do that sometimes yeah, until yeah. you know my son always says Taco Tuesday, mm-hmm. um, but <laughs> but you know what, he's involved with the process, and we can say, and we call them Grandma Tacos, which is just these ground beef tacos. We yeah. always say, you know, let's have a different taco, you know, let's have some chicken tacos, and then every mm-hmm. once in a while we can talk them into the. The smoky lentil tacos, that type of thing. <laughs> yeah. But um, it involves them in the process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we're a little bit out of it, but but we're in that routine. And we're in that routine that we know we're going to cook something on Sunday that we can eat on Tuesday. What we cook on Monday, um, we'll cook on Monday and Wednesday. And then Thursday, smorgasbord night, we just sort of lay everything out. So even when we don't sit down and plan that week, we're already in that sort of routine. So. Mm-hmm. I'd say let's eat some more fam- meals together as a family, no matter how you define your family. Um, and take a little bit of time to plan. Even it's just to know who's what, where, what time of the week. For people that have four kids like yourself and you're running every which way during the week, that helps. you got a driver now that can help. Oh, can you get him to soccer practice? Yeah. I'll do this. I'm in charge of dinner that night. Um, you know, the, the analogy I always use, because everyone hates the New England Patriots, um, <laughs> and I know there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this, they're going to be mad at me for saying that, but everyone hates New England Patriots, but they are masters at planning. I mean, that's why they win, is they plan. And so when life's busy, we may not be living um, as healthy as we would like. Um, we may not be at the weight we want to be at. Um, we may not be um, have the relationship with our kids that we necessarily want right now. So we got to plan for it. You know, if you're going to if you're going to do well at this, you got to make some plans. So take take a half hour, take an hour on a Sunday or a Friday or whenever for your family and just plan. What are we going to eat? When are we going to spend time together? Who's going to get you to soccer practice? Yeah, I was going to add to that even you know, making connections with your neighbors and you know, having the potluck and yeah. 
the the original social network. Yeah, you know, exactly. as we get yeah. more polarized and and less social because of electronics and the political climate of our day, you know, it, it, it's important to, to reach out. A lot out of people and, say that. You're not going to yell at someone that thinks differently than you if you sat down and broke bread with right, them. Right, yeah. exactly. That's, I mean, back to the cultural and the ethos of, of the value of, of sitting across from mm-hmm. one and sharing a meal. I mean, it's just so important. It's communal. Um, I mean, that's a lot that comes from. When we lived in Wisconsin and we're further away from family, we, we had family dinner on Sundays, and there was these two friends of ours that we worked with, and they... At least one of them was over almost every Sunday, and they still they still talk about that. You know, we went up and saw them over spring break, and they still talk about it. you know I, I don't have, you know I, I used to have that family dinner over with you guys. Mm-hmm. My kids even remember it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's important. So I'm going to tee up a pretty much of a home run question here. Okay. What what's one thing if you could ban any one thing <laughs> from our diet? What would it be? Uh, kind of passe now and maybe there's something that we'll discover in the future would be more powerful but it would have to be sugar sweetened drinks yeah. boom home run uh, for mul- multiple reasons um and, and the the history that's kind of funny um not funny it's kind of sad but um but it, it's it's gone to every single drink with that so there's the biological reasons for that when we drink our calories in the forms of sugar it just doesn't fill us up um if i i could drink two ounces 20 ounces of water and still eat a 600 calorie lunch, 700 calorie lunch. If I drink 20 ounces of a soda, you know, so 20 ounces, I think is typically going to be about 240 calories. Maybe I'll still eat the same size meal. It just doesn't fill you up. You're not getting that distension. The sugar is rapidly absorbed. Also, when it comes to sodas and a lot of other sugar sweetened drinks is high fructose corn syrup. Again, what we used to think was fringe of saying, oh, our body uses that difference. It's worse than regular sugar. Well, they've actually essentially proven that now um, because it's pro- because high fructose corn syrup is processed by your liver, and so it does some different things in your body that are not very good. Um, deaf and big tie to um, fatty liver disease and things like that. And the reason that's such a problem is, you know, if you um, – I was at the Coke Museum a couple of years ago with my son on an eighth-grade field trip, and it's interesting to see the old um, ads for it. You know, it was a – woman in Victorian dress with a little eight ounce bottle, you know, it was, it was a special event, Mm -hmm. you know, when we would come back South to visit when we lived in Wisconsin, you know, I loved getting a little eight ounce bottle of cheer wine in the bottle. I mean, I just thought that was the greatest thing on earth. Um, and they realized though that, Hey, let's change this from being a special thing that you go down to the local drugstore, um, to, to get to, it quenches your thirst. Put you know, it in a two-liter bottle. Oh, mm-hmm. and look at the soda commercial. It's about family. It's a, you mm-hmm. know the, it became part of our culture. Same thing with uh, sports drinks. You know, mm-hmm. Gatorade. That name came from the Florida Gators. It right. was invented there because they noticed playing players were not urinating as much in the second half, even though they were drinking water. They were not staying hydrated, and it's because you literally can only take in so much water at a time. But you add in salt and sugar, your body's actually going to absorb more of that that liquid. Um, and and it gave them a definite advantage. But then they realized, you know what? We can make a whole lot more money if we market this to that 10th grader playing football or that eight, eight-year-old soccer player, you know. And so it became a marketing. We can make more money if we make it a broader appeal. And so long answer to a very mm-hmm. short question is I think I would probably, you know, want to ban that even though um, – you know, you still have the sweet tea coming in and stuff like that. So I just, yeah. I think it'd be one of those things. I'm, 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 I'm not a huge one into what they'd call the nanny state with a lot of that, but that is something that is really hurting us. And it 
makes it hard, I think, on parents because you don't want to overly restrict access to this stuff. But the advertising is powerful. That'd be another thing I would almost, if I could add a 1A onto that, it's what a lot of European countries have done, is we don't advertise. Ads cannot be geared to kids at a certain age because younger kids cannot distinguish between education and advertising. Mm -hmm. And so a 10-year-old that sees you need Gatorade, they don't understand this is a company trying to sell to them. They see that, hey, this is something that I need, Mm -hmm. and I need it to fit in. I need it to be competitive. They don't understand the difference there. Yeah, Yeah. Guinness is good for you. Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, being very developmentally appropriate about that, that, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's it's an uninformed consumer, except yeah. the kids aren't uninformed. They're just not mature enough that they can distinguish that. And so it's sort of an unfair advantage. Yeah, I'm, I'm an individual freedom kind of guy, too. So I don't like the word ban, but I, I knew that yeah. was an easy one for you. Yeah. And and uh, so f- for the listeners out there, the, the number one thing you could do for your health besides quit smoking if you smoke is is cut out sugar sweetened beverages and that's not just soda that's those juice cocktails with 100 percent vitamin c but yeah. it's still got way more sugar and, and you're not at risk for scurvy is what we always say yeah, you don't need 100 vitamin c and sports drinks are appropriate when you're outside sweating and and being yeah. active but not as a yeah, as, and as there's a, actually pretty clear guidelines that you have to be a pretty high level typically teenage um, sport playing sports to actually need that. Yeah, yeah. So sugar sweetened beverages, um, juice, soda, sweet tea. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. If you could just cut that out, you'd f- probably get a huge benefit. After you know, you'd probably even feel it after a week. Yeah. So uh, yeah, let's cut out those sugar sweetened beverages, <laughs> people. You don't need them. <laughs> yeah. Once a week, special occasion. That's what right. we always say. Well. Um, any other challenges out there that keep you up at night? Yeah, well, I think, as you see, it's so complex, it's hard to sort of know where to focus on that. Um, I'd say the biggest thing, the, the last challenge, because this is something we talk about every day, is, um, as we said earlier, you don't leave the hospital with your newborn baby with a, a manual of operations. Um, and there's more bad information out there um, than, than good information sometimes. So it's sometimes hard to find that. But I think, you know, maybe taking a little bit of effort is, you know, um, learning a little bit about uh, parenting. Not because you're a bad parent, just because it's hard nowadays. And what you learn from your parents, it's a different world now. You know, when you and I were being raised, there was not Internet. You know, that was not a concern. There was not social media. It was a different form of bullying. So one of those is maybe what I would say is um, how families interact. Because it's, um, you know, it's just not that it's harder nowadays, it's just different. You know, life, the world's always changing. And so how can we do a better job um, focusing on ourselves as a family and, and taking care of each other and learning how to communicate? I feel like a lot of issues um, can be made better if families can really come together and function well. We just, we see that a lot of um, kids are going to be affected by their parents' medical problems. Um, you know, I, my family had financial struggles going up, and it still sort of weighs on me. And so, um, you know, let, let's look at families. Let's look at how we function as families. Let's pull together, support each other, love each other. And a lot of this other stuff tends to fall in place. It's much easier to begin cooking healthy meals at home if the family's doing it together versus one single parent who's trying to make a change in what they're cooking, and they feel like they're fighting their spouse and partner. They're fighting their kids. They're fighting all these other battles. And it's it's easy to give up. There's bigger fish to fry sometimes. And so it's 
all the stuff is easier to do if you can find a way to do it together. Yeah, and I think sitting down for a meal is, is a part it's of that formula. A great and easy first step. It's fun. You can pass stuff down. Um, it's good. It's another mindful moment that you can share with your family. That's great. Well, I love what you're doing. I love what Brennerfit's doing, and, I, and I've enjoyed seeing the partnership between Brennerfit and Northwest AHEC grow and culinary culinary medicine programs mm-hmm. at least twice a year now. And yeah, well, three times a year, standardly. We, uh, we're even talking about is there a 2.0 out there that we could do of, you know, getting really fancy or um, – you know, we t- the idea of meal prep, can we even teach culinary medicine about how people can make three meals at once on a Monday, something like that. Yeah, And then what's grown from that has been our program, Doctors in the Kitchen, of teaching these med students culinary medicine, which is I get a huge kick out of. It's a mm. lot of fun for me. Yeah, I think that's important because they need to model that and, and have their, when they get out in private practice, yeah. have their staffs, you know, look, yeah. look healthy at the front lines. Yeah, too. and understand it. You know, understand that. Telling your family to eat healthy, they're gonna that family's gonna say, but it's more expensive to eat healthy. Oh no, it's not if you can do these things. Yeah, that's deeper right. understanding. That's right. Tell, before we wrap up, tell me about the uh, partnership with Coles and and don't you have a mobile? Kitchen yeah, so well? that's something um, you know it came through funding from the Coles Cares, the Coles department stores of. You know, we have our wonderful kitchen, which is over at the WMG YMCA, the Brennerfit Teaching Kitchens over there, and which is the headquarters of the. Northwest AHEC Culinary Medicine Program over there. It's actually construction going over there right now. Mm-hmm. We're uh, we're knocking out a wall so we can do more demos. Oh wow! And things like that. It's looking yeah. really great. Um, yeah, it's a great facility. Yeah, it's even better now. It's really you'll have to see it. Um, but a lot of people can't get there. You mm-hmm. know, even though this is not a massive city, but we serve people like you guys do in the 17 county region. And so we have funding that we actually built a mobile kitchen that has these four carts. That we can go anywhere. We have electric generators. They've really learned a ton that we can go do literally do a cooking class almost anywhere. Um, and each one has an, a small oven. It's got a um, got an induction cooktop. And so we do hands-on cooking classes. We do demonstrations. We have two chefs that work with us part time to do a lot of this. Um, and you know, right now it's sort of focused on some areas, certain zip codes in the area that we know people have trouble with transportation. But we're really starting to look beyond that. Can we even go? especially as Wake Forest is in so many different counties now that we're hoping in the future actually we can take this on the road a little bit. But um, actually doing a lot of hands-on culinary education outside of our kitchen out in the community. Yeah, I think that's important. I think that's a great way to get out there where the people are that wouldn't necessarily make the effort to come into Mm -hmm. a cooking class. Yeah, or Or just, you know, time-wise, schedule-wise. And so we're really, the term we always use is put it on steroids. You know, what can we do to get this more out there? You know, we have about 30 med students that are now active volunteers with us. A handful of them are even lead teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they can, they got a key to the kitchen. They come in. They actually, they love doing our mobile kitchen too. But, you know, getting more people who can actually teach these classes. We've had our secretary even do a cooking class, lead a cooking class before. So mm-hmm. um, the idea of sort of osmosis, how can we continue to teach other people around us, get more people that sort of sing this gospel? Yeah, I, th- I think that's contagious too. Yeah. I mean, when people get a new skill or get a new recipe. You want to show someone. You, and and yeah. they do it and they produce it. I remember the first batch of, of, of beer I homebrewed and yeah. it turned out great. And I was like, so psyched, oh, yeah. and I just wanted to share it with everyone yeah. and say, look what I created. So same yeah. thing with, with food and dishes and stuff like yeah. that. Because I, I got that Appalachian cookbook, and I just became obsessed with soup beans mm-hmm. um, and just how earthy it was and just so satisfying. Um, so I'm piloting a class next Tuesday, actually teaching med students about that. So it's just you want to you you reach out and teach other people that. 
Yeah, just a little anecdotal story. I, I, there's a little produce stand called Variety Produce in Rockwell, North Carolina, and I drive through there going to my mom's house, and I was in there, and it's just all you know stuff pretty close from the local farms mm-hmm. and cured meats and all this stuff, fresh eggs, and and there's this old lady that works in there, and I was talking about, you know, I was loading up on my food, and she goes, you're going to go cook up a storm, aren't you? I was <laughs> like, yeah, you know it. And she goes, she just volunteered. She goes, my my daughter just got married, and her husband came in and said, Grandma, you got to, or his granddaughter, he said, Grandma, you got to teach me how to cook, because I'll go, I'm going to go crazy if we have to go out to eat another meal. And, you know, they're in their early 20s, you know, they still get married fairly young you know, mm-hmm. out in the county, mm-hmm. and, and, and didn't know how to cook. And the daughter, the granddaughter didn't know how to cook, and her husband came to the grandmother and yeah. said, you know, and she's, because, I said, you really need to do a cookbook. Mm, because that's yeah. that's a lost old fashioned church old books. fashioned yep. church yep. Book. we have I mean, a collection of them that we pull stuff out and every meal has less I mean every dish has five ingredients or less yeah. in it you know you're exactly right um, I asked my team one time I had a family that uh, we'd been working with for a while and they I mean they ate out there's family they ate out seven nights a week mm-hmm. and they started cooking a couple meals at home recipes they learned in our kitchen and I asked my team that one day I said. And I know it's not a simple answer, but I said, you know, these families, that they don't cook at all. I mean, their their kitchen tables where they do homework, they keep blankets in the oven. I said, for families that start to cook at home, how, how do you make that happen? I mean, that's what you consider. That's a tough case. You know, how do – they don't cook at all. They don't even use their kitchen. And suddenly they're starting to cook a little bit. I said, what's the secret? How do you all make that happen? And every single one of them said, without a doubt, they said, we go through the kid. I said, How's, how is that? They said – the child, A, wants to be with the family, wants to be with their parents, and B, they kind of want to be at home. They're at school all day. You know, they're, they're, everyone's, you know, everyone's busy nowadays. They're running around all the time. The idea of being at home with their parents doing an activity, cooking, is appealing to them. And that really hung with me because, you know, we, we eat out two, three times a week. And so when we do eat out, we're planning. Like, we know exactly where we want to go. And my kids have started griping a little bit when, you know, that Friday night sends to be a meal that we don't cook. And can't we just stay home? Can't we Can't we get takeout or can we cook something like that? And I realized, you know, sometimes they just want to be home. And it's about being home with the family. And that's what that little girl was saying is, you know, even though she might be with her family eating out, you know, loud restaurant, you know, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the same as sitting down and be able to have a conversation because when you eat out you tend to eat quickly i mean it's as you said it's going to be processed food that's not going to stay with you as much but it's uh not to get too sentimental about it but that whole idea is you know we maybe we are losing something with that and we need to pull it back home a little bit and spend that time together as a family well the future of a healthy world begins with the kids yeah exactly and uh so to find out more about brenner fit you can go to wakehealth.edu and search or i think it's brenner fit yeah it should be backslash brenner fit but also you just google brenner fit will come up we uh again we've done so much with northwest a heck we um, we have a great facebook page tons of recipes we have about a hundred over 100 recipes on there we have cooking videos we have little 90 second videos we have a youtube channel i think we're up to 20 or so some are purely educational Here's a talk about healthy fats, summer recipes, a lot of information on And there. you do have some internships. And, yeah, so we yeah. do a lot of, uh, no matter what your background, we do um, internships and things like that. Great. Well, look for, for look look out for the Brenner Fit Coles 
food truck mm-hmm. out there or, or mobile kitchen, I should say. Yeah. Upcoming and, culinary medicine. I think I want to say it's Friday, June 6th. We have another one, I believe in October, we just set the date for. So okay. uh, I want to say Friday, October 10th, maybe. So yeah, going well. Great. Well, I appreciate your time this morning. No, it's and, great. Always and, uh, great to spend the time with you, Andy. All right. Thanks a lot.